0: Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to the Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with the industry's biggest names. I'm your host, Alan Seals, and our guest is Tova Feldschuh who is a star of stage and screen, and she's now on Broadway in Funny Girl playing the character of Rosie Bryce, of course, the iconic Fanny Bryce's mother. She just loves the audience. She loves the craft of performing and telling her her, her story, her childhood story of how she got into it is just truly inspiring. She brings this, this new life to the character of Rosie Bryce, who, as she puts it, is pretty bland on paper. And she she just has this whole worldly attitude about her that I've never seen uh, portrayed like this before. But family just seems to be everything for her. And she talks about her own family so much during this interview. And I think that translates into her portrayal of this character of Rosie Bryce on stage. And of course, being with Michelle's mom on some nights and Julie Banco's mom on other nights and whoever's in the role. And she even mentioned she said, people ask her all the time. It, does she play it differently depending on who's on? She's like, of course, because it's different children. So she has to, which, you know, I find highly respectable. So find me online on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, uh, Facebook, if that's still a thing these days. I guess it is. So uh, shoot me a note. Let me know you're listening. Everybody, please leave a rating and a review wherever you're listening to this podcast now. And enjoy this episode with Tova feldshut Here you go. One, two, three. Today's guest is a six-time Emmy and Tony Award nominee and has been awarded three Honorary Doctorate of Humane Letters. She has a Broadway career that has spanned 51 years and includes credits such as Cyrano, Pippin, Rogers and Hart, Dreyfus and Rehearsal, Yentl, Lend Me a Tenor, Golda's Balcony, and Irina's Vow. TV credits include The Walking Dead, Law and Order, Salvation, and Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. She has a massive film resume, of course, which includes the recently released Armageddon Time, starring opposite Sir Anthony Hopkins and Anne Hathaway. And she is also an author, having published an amazing memoir called Lilyville. She can now be seen on Broadway again as the hilarious, very hilarious, I might add, Mrs. Bryce in Funny Girl, Tova Feld. you welcome to the theater podcast.
0: Thank you so much. Wonderful to be here, Allie.
1: I I could have gone on for like another three and a half pages with the amount of bio that I that I had to cut out just to get get to the interview here. You have got quite a career.
0: Well, twenty twenty three will be my fiftieth year on Broadway. I've got a career because I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing it for a while.
1: Yeah. No. I totally I understand that. I guess. Well, I I. Was originally going to talk... Okay, we'll go with my original question here, which is what I was going to start with, which was uh, the Doctorate of Humane Letters. You've got three of those. So for those who have no clue what it is, I had to look this up, but it's (laughs) phenomenal. Explain to the listeners um, what that means.
0: You may know better than I do, but it's basically an acknowledgement that a human being has a certain expertise in a certain area. And therefore, though I did not go to school for a doctorate and write a thesis for a doctorate, though I did go for a master's, that they deserve an honorary doctorate of humane letters for the knowledge they have and the knowledge they can impart to
1: others. But it, it, it's, it does more, um, I think it talks more about uh, just the positivity, and because um, it, it's talking about humanity and uplifting humanity, right? So it's not just like you're, you're super cool at doing backflips. You don't get a doctorate in backflips because you're a gymnast. Uh, But you're doing amazing things with your life and affecting people positively, right? Yes, I hope
0: so. I mean, (laughs) I'm a a member of Seeds of Peace. I plan to take a vacation and go on a mission to uh, Saudi Arabia and Turkey to help the peace process uh, between them and uh, Israel. And I'm also involved in trying to keep our democracy active,
1: keep our well, beautiful, extraordinary
0: a- democracy going.
1: Yeah, that's a challenge in and of itself these days.
0: Wow. Um, unless you're, uh, you know, unless you have narcolepsy, unless you are absolutely falling asleep at the at the wheel, you have to know that the country is in crisis and that uh, we need a big tent that is inclusive, and we need one man, one vote. That is the basis. One person one vote to mm. honor the women who screamed for suffrage for so long and finally got it i
1: i've heard uh, this analogy being used for the for the country uh for for a little bit now obviously like we're we're a young country in terms of the age of countries as, as far as that goes right and uh, i've sort of heard this analogy that America is like we're in our our late teenage years, right, where we're we're rebelling, we don't know who we are, we don't know what we, we don't know what we want to be when we grow up. And eventually we're going to get through this, but living through these years is is really frustrating for, <laughs> for for everybody else of course, uh the parents of the world who are watching us implode. But as uh somebody who's as you were saying has had a career as long as you have, um and I'll t- we'll touch on this too when it comes to your memoir, but you've had several relationships as a mother and a daughter and as an actress um, of all sorts of roles. And so equating sort of your life experience with your love, it sounds like you do have a love of politics. Am am I right in assuming that? Or is it just uh, in protecting democracy?
0: I I, I have a love of people. I have a love of people. I would never run for public office, but I love people starting with the 1,200 people who come per... Per show to Funny Girl uh, to the August Wilson Theater to see this stadium event called Revival of Funny Girl, or I should say the recreation of Funny Girl, directed by Michael Mayer mm-hmm. and starring Leah Michelle. And thankfully, I mean, Carmelou Jared Grimes, and myself. I feel extremely blessed. So I love people. So <clears throat> deriving from that basic uh, feeling from the heart, it goes out to people from the Arab countries. It goes out to Asians. It goes out to people of different cultures, different, different sizes, different shapes. I'm also an adventure traveler and I speak uh, five languages because my parents felt it was important to be able to enter the other cultures besides ourselves. And particularly if God forbid it ever became necessary to be yeah. able to enter the fabric of France or Italy or any of the Spanish countries um, or um, Hebrew. Well, my Hebrew is pretty lousy, but my prayer book Hebrew is good.
1: So, as a as a kid, then I guess, what got you into into theater? Because if your parents are are imparting the wisdom of culture and traveling and five languages and all of that, where where did the need was it a need for, for performing or did you fall into it? Where did that all begin?
0: Well, Lilyville talks about that a little bit. Um, I was the uh, beloved child of Lillian, Sidney Felch, who had dreams of their own and built their dream house in Scarsdale, uh, starting probably close to the minute I was born. And by the time I was three, I was hanging upside down on my swing set, which had a little trapeze. Um, in the winter, I'd wear my green, uh, my green winter snowsuit. In the summer, I'd wear my brother David's hand-me-down brown shorts and his brown T-shirt some of which sometimes I would take it off. I don't think I wore a top till I was about nine years old. But <laughs> in, in all events, they had their vision. I was extremely attached to my father. He came home from the war. I was born after the war. I was his only infant. David was born during the war and didn't know his daddy for two years. I had the great fortune of being held in my father's arms when I was you know, 24 hours old. And I don't think he ever stopped holding me. He was a litigator, a Harvard graduate. And I wanted to be with my father. I wanted to be a litigator and a Harvard graduate. And I applied to Harvard Law School, made the wait list. And it was my brother David who said, why are you doing that? Why don't you apply for the McKnight Fellowship in Acting to the Guthrie Theater? They'll pay for your master's. And you can become a journeyman in the country. In, in, sorry, in the country. Journeyman in the, in, the, in the company, in the Guthrie company. And uh, hold spears, understudy the leading ladies who were size seven. At that time, you could only understudy your own size because the understudies didn't have their own costumes. You wore the leading ladies costume should they be out. <laughs> and, they were, and they were never out for two years, <laughs> never. And ask me how many understudy jobs I've done since then. Zero. I turned them down, even for the standby for Bernadette Peters in Mac and Mabel given to me by David Merrick. I said, no, thank you, sir. <laughs> he said, "You're crazy. You're crazy. You'll go on." I said, "I will never understudy for the rest of my life." So, really, what the underlying principle is is that our vision creates our creations. Our visions creates our creation. So when I when I got waitlisted at Harvard, I said, "Well, where can I make up my own plays?" My father was a playwright, if you will, in the courtroom. He would make up his defense and he would give his monologue to the jury and defend people and try to. Every man is entitled to a fair trial. I said, "Well, an actor does that. We become other human beings, and it is so much cheaper than therapy." So I (laughs) entered. I won won the McKnight Fellowship. There are only four given out a year. It was a free ride to the Guthrie, um, supporting my uh, my graduate work at the University of Minnesota, which was lovely. And the last play I did at the Guthrie, I had 21 roles in 11 plays. My roles were so small. I In Cyrano, I would enter as an actress, exit, enter as a boy poet, exit. I would enter as a nun. Those were the three of them in that, in that show. And uh, the last show they did was a musical of Cyrano, of Cyrano with, starring Chris Plummer. And I could sing and dance. And they offered me 14 lines in the red dress to play the food seller. And that thing would started at the Guthrie, Go to the Royal Alex in Toronto, onto the Colonial Theatre in Boston, and open at the Palace Theatre in the spring of 1973. And Chris, Chris Plummer, may he rest in peace, won the Tony for Best Actor in a Musical. And Broadway was in such tough shape during that particular recession. I think there were eight to ten shows on Broadway. That was it. That was it. Wow. You could get any theater you needed. Yeah, it was. It was. It was rough. And then we began to enter uh, the whole Vietnam War era.
1: The, you glossed over the whole like I could sing and I can I could dance. Did did that come from uh, seemingly nowhere? Did you just decide one day you wanted to do it, or were there lessons? Where was it?
0: Let me let me put it this way: My mother was a classical pianist. My mother-in-law happens to have been a phenomenal classical pianist. I was a pianist. I was a pianist, and I want I loved to sing, and I wanted to take dance lessons. And I was a cultured kid who had entered the upper middle class in the United States, who grandparents were all immigrants, some were wealthy. The Felchers did very well, had silk mills and came from Austria and Germany. And the captains were, were modest from Russia and from UK, from England, my grandmother was British. And um, my mother went from a Bronx apartment to a vast house in Scarsdale, New York. And we were, David and I were both educated in public schools, but being cultured, um, singing and dancing and speaking languages and playing the piano this was part of kinderstuba this is part of what a cultured educated child did from the european tradition and my parents were born in new york and new jersey they spoke their first language was english and um i never questioned it Scarza was very upward mobile a lot of kids went to read a chase and to learn modern dance And then when I went to Sarah Lawrence instead of Vassar, where I really wanted to go, but my mother said, who's going to teach acting at Vassar, going up all the way to Poughkeepsie? You go to Sarah Lawrence and you can commute into New York and study with some of the masters. And of course, she was right. Sarah Lawrence gave me credit and I became a student of Uta Hagen at 17 and a half, 18 years old, which would be life changing. So I applied to Harvard Law for my dad and for me, because I wanted to be near my dad and I worked in his law office to earn money while I was at Sarah Lawrence College. And um, uh, and then I pursued acting because it felt good. And Sarah Lawrence was so wild. We did The Fox by Stravinsky. We did very far out things. We did some Shakespeare. Of course, we were in all girls school, so I played Bottom the Weaver. And I don't know how well trained I was by Sarah Lawrence, but we had a hell of a good time. And then I took serious courses, as my mother would say. When I asked to go to Juilliard, my mother said, you're not going to a trade school. And she said, you take liberal arts, you have a good brain, and you're accepted at at Vassar and the other seven sisters. I said, I want to go to Vassar because I love the furniture. I thought that was a very profound reason. (laughs) And she said, who's going to teach up in Poughkeepsie? But the real reason was the highest mortality rate in the state of New York at the time was on the Taconic Parkway, and that's how you got to Vassar. And preserving protect your young. Right, so, you know, it's just like Amanda and my beloved son-in-law, Joel, they live in Brooklyn, and they have a fabulous place, and we want them to move to Manhattan, want them to be closer. Brandon and his wife, Jamie, they live right next to Lincoln Center, so they're very close to us, and we're very close to our children and our four grandchildren. Anyway, education as an American, and as an American Jew, was crucial. Education is a survival skill. It's not an option it's and my parents regarded my mother particularly, not my dad. My mother regarded acting as a as a trade. It was a trade, you know. I think she would have preferred me to uh, be a doctor, a lawyer, a professor. My brother became a doctor and a professor. So her her firstborn gave her what she needed, <laughs> and uh, I became an actor and very and came to New York on Broadway. That was a stroke. I didn't even know how lucky I was, and then I realized that imbibing. The virtues and the flaws of other human beings, and becoming them in a seamless relationship between your neshama, between your soul and their soul, was a lot cheaper than therapy, a lot. And um, I didn't do much of that either. I was just busy running around avoiding the existential abyss, uh, and which I still do to this day. I'm a very busy person, you know. Whether I'm buying uh, secret gifts for a very special young man who's going to get some great gifts for his Christmas or whether I'm throwing a Hanukkah party, which is my tradition where the various children uh, that I have will come and not just my beloved Amanda, Brandon, Joel, and Jamie, uh, uh, who are their partners? But also Oscar Isaac, Leah Michelle, people. I've been Oscar Isaac, Anne Hathaway's, Rachel Bloom's, and Leah Michelle's mother within the last twelve months. Not that <laughs> is a privilege. <laughs> I, I am like uh, the luckiest mommy. Not to mention my little my little boy who went to Harvard, Brandon, and my little girl who majored in physics at MIT, Amanda Claire Levy. I'm very proud of my children. They're very diligent and they're very highly educated i I think you know how can i have this how can i still sustain my career if i didn't sustain my body and my mind you know what about rosie bryce is is like everybody else what makes her the most like the human mother the gorilla mother the tiger mother the lion mother Mm -hmm. what makes her distinctly jewish those are the two things that was my great advantage. I'm the first Jewish actress or the first actress of the Jewish religion. I, I consider myself a classically trained actress who played Juliet for Jack O'Brien, Isabella for Jack O'Brien and Measure for Measure, Celia uh, opposite Eileen Atkins. I have a slew of very important classical credits and would love, you know, I'd love to play Lear. Now, now a woman can do whatever they want. It's just great. I'd love to do some of the great Shakespearean roles when we finish this run. But uh in all events, uh how do you keep your mind and and your body fast? So, well being in a Broadway musical that's such a a baffo hit is a very easy way to do it. You have to be clever, you have to be fast, I tap dance, I I I sing, and I weigh what I weighed in seventh grade, and I didn't, you know, I got married at one eighteen pounds. I'm now one twelve, which was my weight when I was bought mitzvah. <laughs> and I was one twelve for <laughs> For the Weislers and for Diane Paulus, when I did Pippin, same thing. I was ripped. I would take off my t-shirt, but we're on video, so it's not so private. And uh, I would show you my delts. They're very, very, they're very pronounced because I'm, I'm an <laughs> I ride my bike to the theater.
1: We're going to take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode. I love, I love, love all that. And it, something that that you just said, i I want to carry that lesson forward to to my children and and quote you on this. it's uh, education is a survival skill. and yeah. and for my 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 boys, I have two young boys who are are six and a half and almost eight. And all they want to do, of course, is just run around and and not read and not go to school and hang out at home with us all the time. but especially my older one, is so anti, he doesn't understand the, the the necessity. I mean, kids at that age really don't anyway, but they don't understand the necessity of education. And, and, and I'm just trying to instill in their minds in a way that they understand that you can do anything you want and you can do what you want as long as you get educated. And because you get educated, you're going to create those paths for you.
0: But ch- children don't do what you say. They do what you do. So you need to have dear time. Drop everything and read. They need to see the parent reading. You need to meet, read to them at night. And if you can't, have the babysitter read to them at night. Mm-hmm. You need to, to, to uh, proffer them books and to excite a love of books that is connected to you. Oh, daddy, I love my daddy and my daddy loves books. That's how this whole Harvard Law thing started. My father yeah. was a great, a great orator. I love daddy. He's a great orator. I'll be a great orator. My father loved being Jewish. He loved who he was. He used to say, remember who you are because the world will remind you anyway. And if we were questioning that, all we have to do is tune into good old Kanye and what he's doing to this planet. Shame mm. on you. Shame on you. I say it publicly. And if I yeah. met you, I would say it to your face. And um, yeah, it's a survival skill. I wish that I had created time for me to read more. What I do do is I listen to audiobooks. And when I always say that, I mean the Iliad and the Odyssey and um, you know the, the great books. Very, I was a runner for 40 years, so that was great. I had a half hour every day. But I still bike to the theater and I put one AirPod in and one AirPod I don't so that I, I stay alive and I listen <laughs> to books. I'm listening to Trevor Noah's book right now, Born and so Crime. So yeah, good. Very, very interesting. Yeah, really, really good. And why is it good? It, it's good because he can get to the universal. It's the same thing. Of course, Rosie Bryce, I had to carve that role. I, I mean, that role is beige wallpaper, and you have to know about comedy and how to tilt a line and also ethnicize a line to uh, amuse the audience, but also to vivify the story. And I have worked that part to the bone. Um, and it's a privilege to do it. It's just a privilege to be on stage with Lee and Michelle, for God's sakes. Have you ever? That have kind you, of fame Eva? and that. Yeah, have that kind of fame and that coupled with that kind of talent. So it's deserved, deserved
1: fame. It's it's quite quite something to be there with her. And Julie Banco as well.
0: Julie Banco is a privilege. She's one of the great privileges of my life. I love Thursday nights. I get to go on with Julie Banco. It's a different show. I had another interview. They said, do do you change your performance? I said, of course I change my performance. I have a different daughter. I have different (laughs) feeds, So the music will be different. And she is hysterically funny. She's a really skilled, really skilled actor. And then she's flanked by the incredible Ramin Karimloo, with, with, you know, the voice of a god. And mm-hmm. Jared Grimes, need I say more about Jared Grimes, this genius performer and full-hearted human being, this loving, phenomenal tapper. But it, it, he combines tapping with a true and profound love of humanity. I hope I project that same kind of heart when I'm on the, st- on the stage and at least in the curtain call. I just love, love people. Sometimes I go up to people in the cast and I say, I love you and I want to tell you while I'm still mentally competent, while I can still talk and dance and perform right. I'm not going to wait till I'm some you know, decrepit person on a walker <laughs> and can't do Broadway musicals <laughs> that- anymore.
1: Oh, you'll still do it. I'm sure you will, uh, even with the walker. But I was—I was, I was going to tell you uh, a while ago. You mentioned like what makes what makes um, your character so relatable and so so likable because she she is this. Really on the surface, like you said, beige wallpaper, right? I love that that phrase, and it's just like this this kind of jaded mom who's just like, "Whatever, daughter, get out of here and do your thing." But you bring such a level of humanity and and comedy too, which it needs, of course. But the the level of um, I guess just relatability that that you're bringing to it because you're you're actually accessing. Um, parts of this character that obviously, th- and this makes a great performer, you're accessing part of this character that aren't written down and bringing wow. b- bits of the culture and bits of, of your generation and things that that other performers don't necessarily have. And it's a completely new performance in a way that that I've never seen it perform before. So, you know, snaps, claps, whatever you want to say. I, I enjoyed it so, so much watching you on stage.
0: Thank you. Thank you deeply. It's my Honored to be there, and my pleasure to make this woman highly and specifically Jewish, and highly and specifically universal. And I had to work from two ends of that spectrum. I had a great advantage. I happened to be the religion and the ethnic background that the character was written. I'm not Sam Medford. I'm not. I'm not an Irish Catholic to begin with, and I love them. Marty Moran, one of the great uh, Tom, you know, Keenies and. In our show, and one of the great souls of this universe, also an author, incidentally, you know, a very, very good writer. So um, they were great human beings. But putting Jared as um, Eddie Ryan, and actually somebody saying maybe we should get a Jewish person to play Rosie Bryce, was kind of an insight that, <laughs> that the the, uh, the the production may have may have needed, uh, despite prior performances from extraordinary and wonderful. People and wonderful artists, and um, I love doing it. And I found the verb: a Jewish mother is tethered to their child, and I am tethered to Fanny Bryce. So, mm. what is what is Leah's eye coloring? H- how does Leah move? What is her rhythm? How does her rhythm derive from me? From me, yeah. Certainly, her choice of husband derived from me—a poor choice of husband, right? I'm abandoned by my husband. My husband leaves me because I treated him the same way Fanny treats Nikki. You want 68,000, here's 68,000, you know? So um, I kept up the saloon, which kept him. And then I channeled part of Lily, part of my beloved mother, who was born in the Bronx, and her speech pattern.
1: The real life, and that
0: tough. T- yes, and also the tough love, that thing about have you guessed yet, who's the best yet? If you wait, I'll tell you one more time. You bet your last time. In all of the in all of the shtetl, in all of the town, in all of the city, in all of the state, in all of the country. No. In all of the world you're the greatest star. All of the world. So those those lyrics have to have a reason to exist. So this mother is definitely in the corner of her child and her preserve and protect may have a tough exterior, but it's uh, it's a heart of gold. She is connected to her kid.
1: I absolutely, I, I, love that, and you can see it coming through. And I feel like there's a, um, I guess, a, a chemistry, a gel of the cast now that didn't exist previously or in other productions and whatnot. And it it seems to be presented in a way. The show, uh, Funny Girl, seems to be presented in a way now that that just makes sense and 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 obviously that that's being reflected in the business of show business, in that ticket sales are way up. the show is doing very well. The audience the house is full again. And there's a lot going on uh, I guess uh, on stage that that reflects the love and the respect and the 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 talent that now um I guess exists exists on stage uh, all altogether, right?
0: It's, it's a love fest up there, but it's a love fest led by our PSM. And I hope I'm pronouncing her name right, Lisa Ayacuchi. We have the most brilliant PSM, who is a, a pillar of a democracy and equanimity. And uh, I remember when it was Leah's birthday in August, and we had just joined the company. We were still in rehearsal. Um, uh, Lisa got on the, on the PA system and said, it is Leah Michelle's birthday. Happy birthday, Leah. That was it. And we sang happy birthday. I don't even know if she had a cake. But everybody's even. There are cakes for everybody's birthday. And every chorus member, every person in the company is treated of with great importance and respect. One man, one vote. And basically, the value system that has been laid down by the big heart of Michael Mayer and his Stage management. That's Lisa, uh, Howie, Janet, and Colt. Also, Chris, who's coming, went to video, so studio, but he's coming back, is team first. Team first. So, certain things, everything's equal, equal. But if Leah needs more PT than the rest of us, you give her your PT session. She's the cheese, man. She's funny, girl. She's the hub. We are her mm-hmm. spokes, beloved spokes, and we each get a piece of the pie. We're each You know, certainly, certainly Nicky Arnstein has his moment. It was written into this production. And and, uh, Ramin so, so deserves his huge number in Act Two. And Jared has his starring moment. And I have my my duet with Jared that I treasure. Do I wish I had a solo too? Of course I do. But so what? It ain't in, And the show is two hours and 50 minutes long. And I have enough material to make it all work well. Uh, so that people say, I didn't realize that Rosie Bryce's role was that big. <laughs> it probably isn't, but we do the best we can to enhance the story, vivify the story and deliver it to, to the audience. This is I mean, it's Neiman, it, it's Neiman Marcus, Alan, the audience <laughs> is always right. They say the customer <laughs> is always right. If the audience is rattling their programs, something on stage is not being truthful. And mm-hmm. I teach it when I taught at it Yale, it's the first thing I said. If somebody is fiddling, you haven't reached them. You haven't engaged them.
1: Yeah, so. your the the full title of your your memoir is Lilyville, Mother, Daughter, and Other Roles I've Played, and it explores mother daughter relationships and and uh, is it the book I've heard? Is it the book described like this, or is it you describing your mother that challenged socio cultural expectations of women that helped shaped your career?
0: The book covers 110 years of of women's history, and inside it are these two major characters, Tova and Lily, actually Lily First, born April the 18th, 1911 on a dining room table in 1534 Charlotte Street in the Bronx. Uh, Lily, who lived in a rural area at the time, behind her were wildflowers and, and uninhabited lots, and on her 12th birthday, the Yankee Stadium was completed, and Babe Ruth, Babe Ruth, um, hit a grand slam home run. Uh, wow. de- to see Defeating the Boston, the Boston Red Sox. So, and we we've been Yankee fans, of course, ever since. But my mother was born in 1911, and, and, and before women's suffrage, her mother was in corsets. She lived through World War One, the Spanish Flu, the Roaring Twenties, the crash of the stock market the Great Depression, and World War II before she was 30. Before she was 30. Yeah. And, and uh, your fate was tied into your match. Your right. fate was your match. But, and when I married Andrew Harris Levy at the Plaza Hotel on March 20th, 1977, having already won five awards for Yensel, on my way to Hollywood, I, my mother said, "Talvi, you can do whatever you want now. And I thought she was saying movies, television. She said, you can do whatever you want because you're marrying a Harvard lawyer. So <laughs> that was her value system. And did I love my father? Unconditionally, he was my hero. And I did marry a Harvard lawyer, and then I played a lawyer, a uh, defense attorney on Law and & Order. And it started out as a man's role, Daniel Melnick. Just like um, in The Walking Dead, it was a man's role. Deanna Monroe wasn't a woman originally in the comic. It's a man's role, but they gave it to me. So these two very important. And when I did Daniel Melnick on Law & Order, One of the showrunners said, gee, she seems awfully good at that. That's because my father was a litigator, and I was like in the Suzuki method of litigation. I I saw him in the courts since I'm a little girl. He took me to the Supreme Court when he had a big trial to come see it. Always invested me. Talk about respecting a person. He taught me how to ride a horse when I was a kid, and it was a fancy horse. It was learned English saddle. And he said, Terry Sue, which is my birth name, how often can a little girl tell a big animal what to do? So he empowered me a lot. I fell off my horse uh, when I was uh, about nine or 10. It was June and I had a white hacking jacket off on and I slipped off my horse into a pile of horse manure and my father screamed to me, are you all right? Are you all right? I said, yes, daddy, but I'm covered in horse shit. And he said, everybody is, get back on your horse.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We're going to take a short break Stay tuned for more of the episode.
0: I thought that was the greatest. So I I just lucked out in the parent thing and it never dawned on me once I started to act not to keep pursuing my dream and not to ask my parents for money. My brother and I were both financially independent of our parents when we graduated from from college, I guess, from David from graduate school, you know, but they may have helped him for medical school. And I, of course, they would do that. But when you finish this education, we, we earned our own living. So
1: was it, was, was, was there any, um, I guess, sort of conflicting messaging coming from your mom of, of traditional values of the at, at that time of like, your women have to marry into a man to have an identity. And then your father, who was like, everyone's covered in horse shit, get up and do it again. Like, it, it seems it seems sort of, I mean, good on your father for being like, I don't care what my, the gender of my ch- children are. They're both going to be successful.
0: Right, right. It reminds me of Kenny Feld, whose father ran events, and then he ran Barnum and Bailey Circus, and he had three daughters, and he invested them with the ability to run his massive business. God bless him. In all events, uh, back to this. Andrew Harris Levy combined those values. I don't, as Andy has said to me, Tova. If you weren't so bourgeois, which was considered so boring in my twenties, now that's those values. My parents are married 63 years. My grandparents are married 63 years. The Levy family, whom I married into, married 63 years. We didn't even know from divorce. You marry like a Jew, and you divorce like a Catholic. Once you have <laughs> children, there's no divorce. It doesn't exist. So those middle class values sustained a very rich personal life and God forbid toy 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 if anything happened to Andrew anything, I would stop my work and I would make sure that he's okay. He has to come first and the great thing about Andrew is he never stood in the way of my career. That's why I said yes. I knew other other men would want me to give up my work and I told Andrew I will never ever, ever give up my work. And it's not just because I love it. It's because a woman needs a back door. You need a place to go. It's like a room of your own by Virginia Wolf. Well, you need a place to go that's all your own. You need your own money. You need to earn your own money for freedom. So if I want to collect Chanel, I can collect Chanel and not aggravate my husband. <laughs> and we were, we were splitting everything 50-50 when we got married because you made the same amount of income. And my mother said, come here, little girl. And she said, you're not going to split everything. I said, mom, it's not fair. She said, be quiet. Just be quiet. Listen to me. You're going to get pregnant. And you're not going to earn what you're earning. You're going to earn close to nothing. And you're going to need him. So Andrew establishes your standard of living, the rent, the water, the basic phone bill, the basics. Can you afford this house or that house or this apartment? Or that? And you want a crib made of brass that's $800 in 1983, which was a fortune. You buy that career. You want a special uh, vacation somewhere and, and things are tight. You save the money and you support the vacation. You take him. It was brilliant, brilliant advice. And that's what we did. That's what we did.
1: This sounds We've just like, well. just like Rosie Bryce. You're, this is, this is, I can only perfect. tell you
0: my mother, it's a practical, I'm a practical woman, A practical woman. So, um, that's all from my mom. And, um, that's it, and I, lo- I love my work. Who doesn't love being other people? I, I just love it. I just, you just become these other people. You take on their problems, their their expectations, their failures. You get a vacation from yourself. Yeah, as I said, it's so much cheaper than therapy in this age. What's a, I'm married 46 years. There are certain repetitive things that must drive Andy crazy, except after 46 years, you do, it doesn't drive you crazy. You decide it's not going to drive you crazy at all. You just bend is 't it uh, I thought it was Soroyan that said a branch in order to bear fruit must learn to bend mm. and uh, and uh, so so we do and we're in act three of our marriage it is so sweet and so romantic it's very romantic because we've buried all our parents we know death and we know life and we're in that wonderful sustained moment which I told Amanda and Brandon where their parents are well that we have Never been, um, that is Rosie Bryce. That I didn't do, you know, five months ago before I played this part. We have never been, God forbid, in a hospital for a health issue. So she's, they've got healthy parents who are not, who are clearly senior citizens and healthy children who are making their way from six months to four years. I've got four of them. And they are the greatest, they're the greatest distraction from the third act. You want to escape from the (laughs) aging process? Just get around a young kid, a very young kid who's rediscovering the world. And uh, the other thing I can recommend is I haven't had any plastic surgery, so it's very hard to look at my face, but I'm getting a lot of work because I think I'm the only person my age who can move their face.
1: (laughs) For those who are listening only, she just gave me the best facial expressions I've ever seen (laughs) on this podcast. Um, No, I, I... I think that's so that's so cool, and it speaks to uh, the 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 emotional health that you and Andrew, your husband, are, are seem to be um, comfortable with and living through. Because there's a lot of people who are much much younger who are less healthy, who are less mobile, who are less excited. Because it, I think there's so much so much to your physical health, so much from your your mental health ties to your physical health. And so when you're doing something you love, like you go on stage eight times a week, and you get to Be with the audience, with the people that at the very beginning of the interview, this episode, you were saying like, this is your people. This is why you do this for the people, right? And you get to do this eight times a week and it brings you probably uh, a a level of youth that, I mean, maybe you are aware of this, maybe you're not, but I think it helps keep you emotionally healthy, which is then reflected physically.
0: I think that's very perceptive and I never, never thought of it that way and I totally agree with you. Uh, you really, it's not only the approbation. It's also like, for instance, Thursday nights is Julie's night in and, and, uh, Funny Girl. Leah very wisely does one Tuesday, two Wednesday rests. One Friday, two Saturdays, one Sunday rests. Otherwise, how the heck is she going to do the 22 changes, all the songs, etc.? Julie goes on every Thursday night, and God forbid Leah has to call out, and sometimes things happen. She goes on. But I see Julie Banco win over that audience every thursday night by the time she sings i'm the greatest star i am there in her corner and that is something to behold that's an american story inside an american story we root for the let us say the underdog we root for the person trying to make their way in this world and make it way make their way well and Julie Benko is a, a genius at that. Given the right, uh, and, and she's given the right material, and she's also a great sport. She's, she's a great, she's a great sport,
1: Man, and she's she just it. a nice person as well. Yeah, like, very nice, very very nice.
0: And nice. so is Leah. Leah Le- Le- Le is a doll too, an angel. She's very respectful of everybody. She's out of her dressing room like a bat out of hell. That kid is out of her dressing room in sixty seconds. I barely have my corset off. And you know, she yells goodnight to good night, she gets in that car and and she takes care of herself.
1: Wow, good for her. Well, I'm I'm really happy that the show's doing well, that you're doing well, your family is doing well. And what do I need to do? Tuh, 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 right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I,
0: I, these are the golden years. I have to look up what means. You know, knock on wood means knock on the cross of Jesus. So Jewish people who are aware of that, we don't do that even though it's already an American expression. But, of course, bagels is already part of the American, you know, lox and bagels when you're in New York. I think everybody's Jewish. It doesn't matter what religion you are. You come into New York, and by the time we're finished with you, you're a Jew. I'm joking, but you have those values of heavy education, excellence, the excellence-driven machine. It's a a neurosis all in and of itself, but it's a neurosis I understand. I understand the drive to the A- you know, nobody, there wasn't a paper that went out of this apartment for my children without the third edit. And at Collegiate, where Brandon went to school, if you handed in the paper early, the teacher would correct it and give it back to you to give you another chance to better the paper. It was wow. a reward for being early. And that kid usually never missed, uh, missed an opportunity to hand the paper in. Maybe it was only one or two days early. Maybe it was two at best. Maybe it was one, but he had a second shot. And Amanda, too, the fact that she said, well, I'm, I got into MIT, and I think I'll major in physics. What? Major in physics? I mean, it was like we have no legacy there; we have no connection with that school. And that little girl got herself from Spence to MIT. God bless her, and you know, graduated with a ninety-four point five. She, she did very well. That little girl, she did very well, and she's a wonderful, wonderful mother. And. Um, people love their children, but you know, if your children abide by your values, they're very, very easy to love, you know, that's it. I mean, they're, they're very easy to love. It's not a different cultural uh, adjustment.
1: If your kids had wanted to follow in your footsteps and learn the trade of acting, would you have been supportive or been like, get the hell out? D- do not follow
0: my, no, my, my stupid. No, no, I would, I would have been supportive. Amanda was very interested that she also, uh, dance with the New York City Ballet for four or five seasons in the children's corps. So I was doing the Bank and I was playing and I, bought and I was in a very small theater it was Kaufman or John Hausman. And Amanda was playing the State Theater which is now the Koch Theater you know, for 2,000 people a night in um, all over the Christmas holidays with the Nutcracker and then she did a piece of the Metropolitan Opera with the American Ballet Theater and. She said, I'd like to be an actress, but I'd rather not audition. I'd rather not audition. So I said, you'd like to be an actress, but you'd rather not audition. This is a problem.
1: This is a big,
0: <laughs> you, big problem.
1: Not going to happen. Because that
0: that's part of the thing. I said, you know, if mommy had a lead in a uh, TV series and I could give you a leg up the way Lucille Ball gave Lucy Arnaz, I said, but I don't know that that, would, that method would benefit your talents. There are very few uh, Vanessa Redgraves who survive and better their parents. And there are very few Liza Minnelli's who survive their mother and have a big career, you know, for every Liza Minnelli. There's another brilliant talent, talent called Lauren Luft and another little boy who does uh, no career in the theater or in film and TV. So I didn't discourage it, but I did educate her about it. And uh, Brandon had a few auditions as a young kid. He was interested. He would always get to the finals. Even with Les Mis, he was called back. Um, he, he had a beautiful voice and he had, uh, he had a very gentle face. He could have been a a film star, both of them, because he was not driven toward the theater. He was driven toward mathematics and things of other, other precision, um, precision academic pursuits. So I wouldn't have discouraged them, but I did inform them. And also I'm a middle-class kid. In the end, I was brought up with values that have served me fantastically as I've aged. That which was considered, oh well, she's boring. She doesn't, you know, she doesn't drink. She doesn't do a lot of marijuana. She, you know,
1: uh, not became, a lot, just a little, just enough.
0: <laughs> it was given to us on our wedding night. Now that it's legal <laughs> in, the, in New York, and, and now that it's served as a course in Aspen, was at a dinner party. Holy wick! It was a course after after the main course before the dessert. Hello, so it was very, really, yeah, it was really, really wild stuff. I had a friend who, who uh, died, and the doctor said to me, his heart was failing, but his liver was no good. It was so serrated, we couldn't save him. And I got that sentence from that, that death, that unnecessary death, that you're only as he- healthy as your liver and your pancreas, whatever's single in your, in your system, not necessarily your kidneys or your lungs. You got a few shots with those, your heart, mm-hmm. your pancreas, your liver. You're only as healthy as those things are healthy. When they're not healthy, you have no, you have no backup. My mother lived to 103. She was a medical experiment at 95, and they replaced her aorta and aortic valve with that of a young pony. And the reason she survived at 95 is because that was the one thing that was wrong with her. She had a healthy wow. liver, a healthy kidney. Everything else was healthy. So they did this experiment, and she finally woke up from she was dying of aortic stenosis. She woke up with the heart uh, with the valve and part of the aorta of a young pony and she said, wow, I guess I'm strong as a horse. You know, <laughs> what she had she 103. So lived another eight and a half years. Wow. What a gift that was. You know, I plan to be here 104, Alan, and just think Betty White. I'm going to act well into my nineties. As long as I have my marbles, I'm going to act into my nineties.
1: Oh, she was, she's so great. And, and, uh, put in all the, the random animal parts into your body as we need to keep it going.
0: I will if ever I, I need it i I could be a, I was a runner so I could be a candidate for a knee replacement. The only trouble with the knee replacement my knees are good enough I can dance uh, up a storm uh, on a level ground um, the only thing with the knee replacement is you can't make a mistake so I can ski but I really can't fall so I'm gonna go with my knees and put a little rubber brace on it and Keep going on the on the blue slopes and not going. I don't go on any more black slopes anymore. Anyway, I'm not skiing this year because I'm I'm in Funny Girl, well <laughs> almost until the summer.
1: Wow. Well, I cannot wait to see you again, and everybody needs to go see you. Everybody needs to read your book, which again is called Lilyville, Mother Daughter, and other roles I've played. And I want to wrap up with three closing questions that I ask everybody to end the episodes. The first one, just very simply, is what motivates you.
0: Wow. What really motivates me at my age is to live each day fully with meaning and connectivity with other human beings, or plants, or animals, in order to avoid the black hole of the existential abyss of that which waits at the end of the road.
1: Hmm. Let that sink in for a minute. Wow. What advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a similar path?
0: You create, your creation depends on the strength of your vision. And if things are not working out, strengthen your vision or listen to the universe. Maybe you're supposed to take a left or a right-hand turn. I thought I was gonna litigate and I only wanted to go to Harvard Law School. Which shows that you didn't really want to litigate; you just wanted to be with your dad and go to your dad's school. And instead of doing that, I married into my dad's my dad's school. And he says to this day that he thinks that the fact that he went to Harvard College and Harvard Law School influenced my uh, my yes. I didn't even say yes when he asked me to marry him. I said, "Of course." And I think it did. So shoot me. What can I tell you? Freud is alive and well in this marriage, and uh, it's a very, very wonderful marriage and I married a very fulfilled man who loved his work. So I watched my mother like patients on a monument, watch, wait for dad to come home. I said, I'm never doing that. I am never doing that. And I don't do it. Um, what I would say to young people is what Ruth Gordon said to me, never give up, never give up, don't give up on your dreams. And if you can't find a direct path, that's a major thoroughfare for you that ends up as you starring in a TV series, find it in theater. Find it in your rep companies. Find it in your community theaters. Find your joy. Joseph Campbell, follow your bliss. Follow your bliss. You're inside this body for one shot. There's one rainbow shot inside this body at this time.
1: All right. So the final question here, this is super hard. If you can only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see?
0: Easy, funny girl. On Broadway, August Wilson Theater. <laughs> <laughs> what show I'd love to see over and over again? That's such a hard one to, to, to think about. But my first show that I was allowed to stay up late for to watch on television and then would see it live was Mary Martin as Peter Pan. And that <laughs> has never landed in it. I know a place where dreams are born and time is never planned. It's, it's you know, it, it talks about fulfilling fulfilling the your vision to create your life.
1: Do you do social media at all? Are you online in that capacity? I have Instagram and because I did The
0: Walking Dead, I was Deanna Monroe. I had I had many thousands of followers.
1: All right. Well, well, we'll connect with you online. You can get more of me at theaterpodcast.com. I'm on Instagram Theater, TikTok, Facebook. Leave a rating and review wherever you're listening now. This has been edited by Well Rounded Hoodlum Productions. Jukebox the Ghost gave us our intro and outro music. And Tova, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you very, very much. Take a deep breath, make the world a little colorful.